Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We spoke with Gene Smith, Ohio State Athletic Director, for about an hour. On Wednesday afternoon, we held off on this Wednesday pod because we wanted to bring you our analysis of that news conference as quickly as possible. So we're getting this to you late Wednesday afternoon. We'll be back with uh, something else Thursday. I have an interview set up. I, I, I hope it comes together. Um, life in the transfer portal, hopefully, will be uh, the topic on Thursday with uh, somebody who can provide some perspective on that. So Stephen and Nathan... I just want to run through what we thought was the most interesting stuff that we heard from Gene Smith on Wednesday. No particular reason for this news conference, just sort of a state of college sports, of the athletic department, of the football program. And we'll, I'll give you guys uh, the opening to say, Nathan, where do you want to start? Here's my only rule. We're not starting with NIL. We can do a little NIL stuff at the end. But I would act. I would prefer to talk about like football stuff that affects fans directly, and then we can get into a little of the NIL stuff later. So Nathan, where do you want to go first? Well, let's talk about some of the Big Ten stuff because I thought it was important in considering that in the past few weeks, some other Big Ten stuff had come out from other ads that we were to hear what Gene Smith had to say about some of those topics. The one that I guess maybe you should just start here. The one that I think generated the most interest on Twitter and it was because I think as often happens from press conferences that are being live tweeted the wrong or incomplete information or incomplete opinion got out there first and people ran with it was what he said about hosting a playoff game or not hosting a playoff game well that's not Big Ten related at all that's that's playoff well it's okay it's that's fine but it's I think it all it all falls under the um it it is somewhat Big Ten related because it, it relates to his ambivalence towards continuing a big 10 championship game in the future too yeah that's, that's yeah those are two kind of separate but combined things so what do you want to do first the playoff sure let's do playoff first okay this is not this was not completely new to my ears right this is something that had come out before the idea of in a 12 team expanded playoff gene said he thinks we'll get there 
and and Shahan Jaharaj and I on the college football playoff show, we did an hour uh, on the Wednesday pod all about the issues that might be holding up playoff expansion that aren't holding up playoff disp- expansion. There was a lot of Big Ten stuff, a lot of Gene's thoughts worked their way uh, into that podcast. So for an even, even deeper dive in the playoff, go listen to the College Football Survivor Show wherever you find Buckeye Talk. This is the idea that in a 12-team expanded playoff where the first, the top four seeds get buys and the other eight teams play four first-round games at home sites that possibly the home site for Big Ten teams in that scenario, Nathan, would not be their home stadium. It would be the most convenient domed stadium, which could mean for Big Ten teams, Indianapolis, it could mean Detroit, it could mean Milwaukee, it could mean the NFL stadium in Minnesota. There's actually a nice bevy of options for this what do you think of this idea, Nathan? Is this a good idea? And this is a little bit, this really seems like a gene thing. He's quite in on this. What do you think of the idea of, hey, Ohio State's the five seed. They're hosting the 12, but it's not in Columbus. It's in Indy. Well, he had sort of said something along this line in the past that if he wasn't sure that having Northern Northern half of the country teams hosting games in late December was good for the game. So this wasn't a new opinion that he was throwing out there. And secondly, while he said originally, I would recommend not hosting, came back later and said, well, maybe when we look at the forecast, we would actually turn out that maybe Ohio State should host a game. So he was not like, he's not hard and fast saying that Ohio State will not host a home playoff game. I think what people need to think about is what is best for Ohio State brand of football right now because that's i think what gene smith is thinking about i don't think he's thinking about it would be chilly i don't no. i think he's wondering i don't you think he's thinking i don't think well, he said that in the snow i don't think playing in the snow just because it's in columbus is going to be better for ohio state than playing yeah. on a clean field he's legitimately thinking about a health and safety issue yeah well. that's what I, yeah that's yeah. what i'm thinking it's like i'm not putting my players in a situation where we're playing in 12 degree weather and somebody might get hurt now the other side of that of what kind of brand of football ohio state plays is an added bonus in that argument but that's it's more about keeping players safe than anything else i don't think but it's that, an that, unre- i don't think it's an unreasonable consideration now it depends as he sort of when he's as you're right Nathan he sort of was more definitive earlier in the news conference and then backed off later in the news conference the difference of playing that game in Ohio Stadium on December 3rd versus December 17th for instance could be a, a significantly big deal and also the difference of playing that game in Ohio Stadium versus playing in Madison Wisconsin versus playing in Ann Arbor Michigan versus playing in, God forbid, you know, Minneapolis, if Minnesota ever makes the playoffs, right? That is also, I think, part of his consideration that he is thinking about the dome option for Big Ten teams, not only Ohio State. Right. No, I, I you're right. And I also think, though, that um, some of that argument has always kind of sounded weird to me because as we saw this past year, even if you're playing the weekend of Thanksgiving, you can get cold snowy weather that affects a game so there's always been a part of me and i understand maybe why it sounds weird to fans like you potentially have this advantage why are you giving it away and i understand why that i understand why that hits fans ears weird to begin with i just i also don't think if if the thing that you're thinking as a fan is 
playing in a blizzard in Columbus is good for Ohio State, I think that's probably a mistaken view right now. I'm just telling you from a weather standpoint, it's not snow, it's frozen fields. Like that's the thing. The frozen fields, knees and helmeted heads hitting the Mm -hmm. ground and bodies on frozen fields. And it doesn't have to snow, but the longer you get into December, if you have a cold stretch and that grass field is like concrete, that's, that's his issue. And then he said, and by the way, I like to see CJ Stroud throw it around inside. So that's, I, I do think it's secondary. And, and Stephen, there is a, there's an overarching health and safety issue for amateur players that gets brought up with this, that you're asking them to play more games. You're asking them to play for a longer period of time. You know, it's not the NFL. Everybody's not a millionaire. This is at least a component of that. I don't think it's the, the largest component of that, but I don't think when Gene Smith talks about giving up a game in Ohio stadium, I don't think he's blowing smoke about that issue, Stephen, because it's like, well, why else would you be willing to do that? Right. It's not just because he wants to go to rock bottom brewery in Indianapolis right before the game. Yeah, no, I, I don't, you said it's not the biggest component. I think it is the biggest component. It's the primary component for why you make a decision like this, because you're right. This isn't the NFL where if you play for the Packers, you know, you're going to play a playoff game in three degree weather at some point, you don't have, you're not trying to put people in that position at all. So I think that's, it's, I understand from a fan's perspective, it's like, Oh, make Bama come up here and play in the cold and see if they can still play well, good football or not. I understand that, but that's not at all what matters here. What matters is, you know, if CJ Stroud is standing up straight in the pocket and Paris Johnson jr. Gets beat and a defensive tackle takes a a defensive tackle or defensive end takes out CJ Stroud's knee because it's that much colder outside. And so he's, it's more prone to injuries. That's the only thing that matters here. So like, I don't think you can downplay that statement, even if you want to add the extra caveat of Ohio state likes to throw the football around. So I I don't mean that it's not the major component of the decision. If you don't play home Mm -hmm. games in Ohio stadium, I don't think it's the major component of the health health and safety discussion. When it comes to the playoff, the discussion is just the, the extra games, wherever they are that we college football teams used to play 11 games. Then they had a break for a bowl. Then they played a bowl. Then they went to a 12 game schedule 15 years ago. Now you play 12 games and a conference championship game right after it. That's 13 games. And if you're in the playoff, that's 14, 15. Now we're going to add maybe two more rounds that if you somehow like that, that I think that's where the ACC is hung up is the, the length of the playoff potentially from a health and welfare standpoint. Um, what would they, it, so I do think, Nathan, fans like to see their team in their stadium. That's cool. It's a little bit of a pain in the neck to drive three hours. But it's almost like if you said, Nathan, to Ohio fans, okay, the Big Ten, and this is why it does have to be a little bit a discussion with the idea of would you do away with the Big Ten championship game. If you said the Big Ten to Ohio State fans right now, Nathan, the Big Ten is going to go to best team hosts. Highest ranked team hosts the Big Ten championship. We're not going into it anymore. So that's a chance for cool, like for Ohio State to host that game. Would fans think that's much better? Or is it like, no, I, I, I like going somewhere else for a special game. I'm trying to figure out is, is the big loss here for Ohio State fans losing a game in the shoe? Or is it losing a game in the shoe potentially against a Southern team that they want to come up here and see them freeze? Yes, I think it's the second one. It's definitely the second one. 
it isn't just about hosting a playoff game or having the game at Ohio Stadium. Um, although that I understand if you're not a top four team, that's supposed to kind of be the consolation prize you get for not making the top four is if you're one of those next four, you get to host a game. But it, it's all about watching Alabama or Florida or Texas or Auburn or whoever come up and play in the cold. That's what it's about. Uh, never mind that your team really isn't that accustomed to playing in that kind of cold that we're talking about. Like when getting into the kind of cold that Gene Smith wants to avoid, there aren't a lot of games that are ever at the college level played in that kind of weather. But I, so again, I don't think it would be the advantage for Ohio State that fans think that it might be. So in the end, um, again, Gene sort of equivocated at the end. Well, we'll have to look at the weather and you do a study and you figure out, okay, if it's going to be on this date, what is the average temperature on this date in Columbus? How often has it been freezing leading up to that game? Um, that kind of thing. In the end, Stephen, is this a pretty good idea from Gene that it's like, hey, you know, if, and the other thing is like Ohio State, if you're the Big Ten champ, and those top four seeds would go only to conference champs. That's the one thing. It's not like two SEC teams are going to get to host. So there's a, I mean, it's like, what would the world be in which Ohio? I mean, it would be if Ohio State's not the Big Ten champ, but they're in as like the six seed or the seven seed. It would have been like this last year. Like yeah. This past so season. They end up mm. hosting that kind of game. Um, but it is one of those where it's kind of a weird reward because it's not for the four best teams. It's for the middle four teams you get rewarded. And if you're one of the middle four teams, should you really be complaining about if your reward means right. your fans have to drive three hours away when it's like, well, then your reward should have been, you don't have to play at all. Is this a pretty good idea in the end, Stephen, to think about this for big 10 teams or, or is Ohio state is Gene Smith potentially giving away a home game for no reason? No, I like it. I'm not a fan of playing outdoor games in December. So I like it. I, I, and I completely understand. Now, as he said, um, he made it a point to say it multiple times, the fact that this isn't every year we're going to Indy guaranteed if we're hosting a playoff game. It's going to be weather. Like, if it's 33 degrees in December, then they're probably just going to play at Ohio Stadium. But overall, I do like it because I'm never a fan of outdoor games in December. And don't you think that if his football coach is, but main football coach, were telling him, man, I can't wait to get Florida at Ohio stadium in late December that he would yeah. maybe have a different opinion. Not that he's like, you know, flapping in the breeze at his employees say, but I think if the football coaches were telling him that for football reasons, they thought Ohio state would be better off having that kind of game at home. I, I suspect that when we ask Ryan day about this, he might have an opinion that's very similar to Gene Smith's. And I guess in the end, I was going to say, well, you're going to have to decide earlier than that, but you actually wouldn't because just like, Right now in the playoff, if you're the one seed, they ask you where you want to play your semifinal, and nobody knows what seed you are or who you're playing or where you're playing. Now, the one thing is well, there would be less time, but so if you if you have the announcement and you're going to play these games, the first round of games is seven or eight or 11 or 10 days later, right? You're not going to know it until you know it. So you can't plan anything that far ahead. So I guess you could year to year, it could be like, okay, Ohio State, you're the sixth seed. You're hosting number 11 LSU. Where's the game? And in that moment, Ohio State would tell the committee, we're playing them in Indy. And they'd say, okay. And then when they announce it, 
they say in nine days, Ohio State and LSU are going to play in Indy. That is workable, I guess, right? That's how you do it because you couldn't do any more. You wouldn't have to plan six months or a year or even a month ahead because you don't know what seeds people are and what the matchups are going to be. The tricky thing, I guess, is Lucas Oil Stadium itself, keeping that date open and having a contingency plan in place to host a game on short notice. Well, and I think that like there almost would be the, the stadiums don't keep squat open. So Ohio State has to be ready. Okay, this is the year. Oh, man, they're, they're having a rodeo in Lucas Oil. Do we want to go to Ford Field and play this in Detroit, or do we just want to play it here? Right? That that would be yeah. – you start to enter a thing. It almost would be interesting. And then someone was asked, well, Gene, do you think they all should be neutral site? If Texas or USC or Alabama is hosting a first-round game, should they have to be neutral site also? And he's like, no, they can do whatever they want to do. I'm just telling you, I don't want people breaking bones on a frozen field in big 10 country, if we can avoid it. So, okay. Are we good? Like, I, I understand. Do you think there are some people shouting at the podcast right now? Because they think this is a terrible yes. idea. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. But, but also think about this. Think of, we've had many discussions about the disadvantage that Ohio state has being in the North against all the other powers it's competing against in the South, in the warm weather South. So why would you potentially want to take the worst part of your football enterprise and amplify it with a playoff game? Especially when you have to plan it too. You know, it's it's not like, oh, Alabama has to deal with 13 degree weather. And then when Ohio State's on the field, it just stops snowing and the field all of a sudden warms up. You have to plan it too. And as we just saw against Michigan, that offense didn't travel well in the weather. So why would you want to put yourself through it just for the sake of being able to go, ha ha, Florida, you can't play on this either. I think that's the question the fans should ask themselves. If this game this year had been played exact same conditions, except it was Columbus and State of Ann Arbor, does Ohio State win the game? I think the answer is still no. But it is part of it. It, it so happens that Ohio State's style of play lines up with the desire to try to not have players injured. Wisconsin might be like gene you're killing us man like we want to play on a frozen field and run the ball but by the time this happens it might you know arizona native devin brown throwing to texas native caleb burton and they're like side man i don't as you know everybody's good we don't we don't need to be outside so okay steven it sounded like you were interested in the idea of the big 10 championship game potentially going away is that where you wanted to go next yeah that's where i wanted to go because i was a little shocked to hear him say that he basically spent a good amount of time devaluing the championship game in itself. Um, and that's intriguing to me because I, I had not thought about that because obviously we're thinking in a world where even if we we're in a 12 team playoff, the conference champs are probably getting the top four seeds, but if there's no value to the conference champions, then why does it matter if they get the top four seeds or not? Maybe we should just get rid of the conference championship game altogether and just whoever has the best record in the comp, just do it like how they do it in basketball, where whoever has the best record. And then if you have to go to an extra step, you do that. And that's your conference champ. So I was, I thought there was a monetary component that would prevent conferences from ever doing away with conference championship games, because in college football, the minute you give college sports, anything you say, here's a, here's, Here's ten new dollars. Here's a we figured out a new way to make money. Here's ten dollars. They spend the ten dollars in five seconds. So this is they make money, but 
when you think about the TV contracts, when you think about the money everybody would make from an expanded playoff, when you think about how much Ohio State makes from a regular season home game, G- uh, I talked with Gene about this a little more. That like the, the conference title game, the money is not the thing that would keep it alive. So once you don't have to keep it for the money, and the ACC, Nathan, currently has this issue. They are bringing up a health and safety issue, and there is also Gene is interested in in, a, in an expanded playoff world because the, getting rid of the conference championship game is directly tied to the expanded playoff. Gene would like players to have off a couple days around Christmas, and Gene does not want college football going until late January. So you get in a schedule crunch a little bit. And if you eliminate a weekend of the season, well, we don't have conference championship game weekend. So you can start the playoff then. That helps alleviate, and it's one less game that everybody plays, which alleviates some of the ACC issues about health and safety. It feels like a step, Nathan, that would help the progress of the playoff in a lot of ways. And to your point, Stephen, I just assumed, well, that's not even on the table. But if it's on the table for Gene Smith, then it's got to be on the table, Nathan, for other ADs thinking about this holistically. Yeah, and I think it makes further sense if the Big Ten is seriously thinking about eliminating division which Gene said that they're doing in May. And I clarified with him because he said the divisions are going to come up at that meeting. I said, so you mean just the difference between the status quo and no divisions? And he said, yes, that they're not thinking about reworking the divisions. There would either be keep what they have or no divisions. And when you get into a no division situation, because we already talked about this a couple weeks ago when, when Scott Docterman from The Athletic was reporting uh, what Gary Barta had said about some of these same topics and the concept of having a you know, ending the season with an Ohio State and Michigan game and then having one the very next week to decide the conference championship. Or that's not the only example that could be. It could be Wisconsin, Minnesota. It could be some of the other combinations. Probably not Purdue, Indiana, but some of the other combinations of, of regular season finales. And how much would that devalue that game or devalue the rivalry in itself? And you get yourself away from some of those sticky scenarios when you don't have those rematches to then decide a championship game. And then on top of that, both of those teams would then potentially still make that playoff. And you're setting yourself up for a possible like three times in a year, those teams playing. I think I, I don't, I, I I'm, I'm fine with like ply, you know, bending some of the tradition of college football and maybe dragging it into a more progressive line of thinking, but that starts to push into a, a really weird area. I also think it just might solve the eight or nine conference game conversation that I think Gene said they were having in May. Um, I mean, if there's no conference championship game and you're just basically deciding, you know, who has the best record then everybody should be playing nine conference games. That's actually a good point. If you're, if you're not going to play a conference championship game, I think you, you absolutely have to play nine conference games. And this, this is all related, but I do think if you get rid of the divisions, say you had, you would create some sort of system where at the very least, everybody would have a rival. They play every year. You might end up in a world where you have a pod thing where there's two or three teams that you're lumped with and you play them every year. And then you rotate through everybody else. And so if if Ohio state played three teams every year, and then they rotated the other 10 teams through the other six games, right? Then you're getting, you're getting every You're playing every team no worse than every other year. 
And the one thing Gina talked about is the idea of in a four-year career, you would go to every other stadium. So if you're playing every other year at the worst, then in a four-year cycle, you would get to every stadium because you do it twice and you get to a road game there, right? So that's a nice little bonus that sometimes, you know, in the way it is now, when you play your division, and then if you're crossover, you miss somebody on a crossover for a four-year period where you don't get them or you get them once in four years and you don't get to play a road game there, like when you're leaning more into your division, that means you lean less into the opposite division. So you could do away with divisions. You do no, either no championship game or a one, two championship game. Or, I mean, if you, Steven, if you said, if you have no championship game, then it's like, who's your conference champ is tiebreakers. Or it might be, if there's a tie, it's whoever's ranked highest in the college football playoff is the team that then qualifies for the automatic berth because your your conference you can determine your champ however you want you don't have to play the extra game to do it or the other option that remains that covid showed us that i do think is interesting is eight conference games that are set and week nine is conference championship weekend where you play a conference championship game and everybody else gets matched up and you don't know what it's going to be and that's your ninth conference game. So are we, it's a, so basically 11 regular season games. And then that 12th game is. Well, 12, well, 12, right. Yes. That, okay. you, you would, or it's, yeah. However you want to say it, okay. it's the 12 game regular season and you fold the championship game into the regular season. But the, yeah. yes, the big 10 champ would play 12 games, not 13 and then go into a playoff. Nobody's playing a 13th game prior to the playoff. So I think you could do no championship game and be fine. I think you could do that and be fine. But I do think if you go no divisions, the one thing that they're worried about and careful of is if you get a huge ups in the Big Ten championship game, it can muck stuff up in an expanded playoff. But if you had the two best teams playing, you're going to have a good champ that's going to be probably one of the top four seeds. But the other thing is, Nathan, is you can think like you can think of it as that conference championship game is sort of a chance for the number two team to play its way into the playoff. But realistically, it might be more likely you're playing yourself out of the playoff. Like, why do you want your two best playoff contenders? One of them's guaranteed a loss to end the year. Why? Just let them be one and two and hope they both get in the 12 team playoff. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways where the conference championship game makes less and less sense. I think in any number of ways we're seeing, the importance of the conferences themselves individually mean less and less. And I, I don't have a problem with that. Again, that's one of those areas where I think the, the maybe traditional structure of college football is, is going to just continue to erode and it's going to be in favor of this more national brand of college football. But I, I don't see a way to have both things. And they've been trying to have both things all along, right? They've been trying to have a true national champion decided by whatever format, while also this like strict adherence to traditional bowl structure and alliance, those alliances, not the new way we use alliances, the former way of using alliances. And I feel like oh, that, that was, there was always going to inevitably be a breakdown there. And I think anything that progresses us towards what I think the fans really want, which is what the modern fans really want, which is this a, a, a bigger playoff and, and a true um, process that decides a national champion, I think, is going to inevitably mean less weight on the conferences. 
if you get rid of conference championship games and you basically play the first round of the playoffs on that weekend instead, then you wind up in a world where what you're trying to schedule then is right now we have conference championship weekend and then you have four teams that have to play a total of three games to determine a national champion. If you get rid of conference championship, you play the first round, then you're down to eight teams. So you're adding one round and you've got to fit one round in the schedule, which you probably do in mid-December. And then you have Christmas off and then you get, then you go to your semifinal site and the Rose bowl can be one of them. And then you play your, your national championship game on the exact same schedule you are now. So the first round replaces conference championship weekend. You squeeze an extra round in mid-December and everything else stays the same. And I think that alleviates some of the health and safety. I think it alleviates the scheduling, have Christmas off, don't play forever. Nathan, I just, a lot of things get very clear when you do this. And it's only adding one round for a small group of teams. It's not like you're adding one round across all of college football. You're adding one round for this group of teams who currently have no opportunity in the national championship picture so if you went to all of those players and said like hey would you play this one extra round with and some of you aren't even going to play beyond that so it's not like you're playing you know what i mean like it's you're just it's like just if like if you're playing a bowl game like would you take that game and potentially two more to potentially win a national championship they're all going to say yes who's who's going to say no to that i don't think well the acc is acting like they would say no the ACC is saying their coaches pulled their players and the players don't want to play extra. But the one thing, Stephen, is right now the national champ, assuming that national champ played in a conference championship game, which of course it did. Bama and, and Georgia both played 15 games this year. If you get rid of conference title games and you are a top four seed, the most games you can play is 15 because you'd play 12 regular season games. And then you'd play three playoff games. That's 15. The most anybody could play would be if, if a five through 12 seed makes the national title game, they're playing 16. So I do. So, so Steven, at this point, what's the argument for keeping conference championship games? Do fans love them? Is it, is it a great goal for a team like Northwestern, which maybe doesn't realistically think it can truly strive for a playoff spot, but, they get to hang a, a banner and says we were the big 10 West champs. And they get to say, we went to Indy and we had that experience and that version of college football pageantry. What's good about keeping a, a conference championship. That teams who don't necessarily have realistic national championship aspirations get to hang a banner. Cause I mean, Ohio state basically lives there. Alabama basically lives in theirs. Um, Georgia to an extent, like the teams who are trying to win national championships, getting to a conference championship game is just kind of a given along the trail of where you're trying to get to. So it is more for like the middle, the middle tier teams who want to be able to say they they accomplished something. And if we're more worried about the college football playoff at this point and national championships, then who cares about whether or not Northwestern or, you know, Purdue or any of those teams gets to hang a banner saying that they got to Indy. I do think you also enter a potential crazy person realm. If you keep conference championship games and expand to 12, say Ohio state, and Michigan play each other in the last game of the regular season. And it's that's going to happen. Number, yeah. number two versus number four in the country. And then the big 10 is done away with divisions and they're the top two teams in the big 10 and they play again in the conference championship game. And then they both make the playoff. 
And then they meet again in a national semifinal. And now Ohio State and Michigan, not only are you talking about teams playing 15 or 16 games, you played a team three times. It's like, Nathan, what are we doing? You just, you, it's, it's right now the conference championship games act often as de facto quarterfinals. So you're just like replacing them with actual playoff games. There's no more de facto. So man, I, I am, if you start making this argument, to Big Ten ADs and conference commissioners and to ACC ADs. And to, I, I, I find I find it hard to rationalize other than, like, it's fun and cool. Because, like, even the, AC, the SEC championship game this year was really good. It was meaningless. Kind of. I mean, it got Bama in the playoff, I guess. But in a 12-team playoff, Bama would have made it anyway. And then the other team won the national championship. So in an expanded playoff, we would not have lost anything by not having Alabama and Georgia play earlier. Right, Nathan? You would you almost would have gained because of the first time you would have seen them play each other was for the title. Well, and I think the Big Ten certainly didn't gain anything from having Michigan go to Indianapolis and beat up on Iowa. Then they could have lost a lot. They were exposing themselves to losing a lot because if Iowa wins that game, Iowa is not going to the playoff. Right. So and Michigan's getting knocked out. So like you're you're it's a big risk, low reward. The more we do this for the Big Ten, it just it feels like this is where the common sense momentum is going to push us over time. And if and maybe it would be a different argument if the West were more of a factor here. But I think you have to deal with the reality of the situation. And the reality is that the college football powers of the Big Ten are in the East and it doesn't make sense to keep exposing them, especially as you as you look forward to what the payoff could be, to keep exposing them to getting knocked out with no reward of that other team going forward. And from a fan so, perspective, real quick, would anybody actually be that upset if Ohio State and Michigan played multiple times? Three times would be crazy. Three times, no. Like, okay, three times would be a bit much. But, like, if they met twice and the other time was just in the playoff, I don't – like. are people going to start no, complaining no, no. about that? Like, no, in the playoff, they wouldn't complain about it. Yeah. I do think it's for the Big Ten to do away with divisions and keep the conference championship game so that you can just rematch Ohio. You suddenly bring into play the very real possibility of rematching Ohio State, Michigan a week later in a conference championship game. That doesn't sound super exciting to me. Like, I, I, I'm, I understand wanting to have your two best teams in it, but. I think there might be as much harm as good in that scenario, but to, to do away with, do away with the conference championship game. And if Ohio state Michigan meet a second time, it's in the playoff. Great. Now we're great. So um, I don't know. I will say this. So this has happened sometimes. Gene is often very open and honest about things. And He's the Ohio State athletic director, which means he has a lot of sway in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten has a lot of sway in what happens nationally. So Gene's opinion and what Gene, Gene's view of how things might go really matters. There have been times when Gene's like, I think this is what it should be. And then it's like, oh, wow, yeah, it could be that. And then like six months later, it's like, oh, no, it wasn't that at all. So he's not making the decision. But the idea that he broached the topic of doing away with the big 10 championship game. And then we just gave five reasons why that makes sense. I think that's a valuable discussion, but it doesn't mean it's definitely going to happen. Yes or no. Do we think the big 10, because this is the first step, I think, do we think the big 10 will do away with divisions in 
the next three years? Yes or no, Nathan? Yes. Yes or no, Stephen? Yeah. I think there's a lot of smoke to that. I, th- I think that is as much consternation as there been in the history of the Big Ten since Nebraska came about how to divide up the divisions, what's the best balance, what's the best name, how do you do the crossover, and then the idea of like just get rid of them is like you know what that that's that's probably right. And again, as we talked about Nathan when this first came up. The loss for Ohio State probably would be not playing Penn State every year. That's what you give up because you're definitely going to play Michigan every year, but you can't go to no division and then guarantee that the three plus programs all play each other all the time. It doesn't make any sense. So that's what you would lose, but I think they gain enough other things that it would be okay. And I think, as you said before, and Gene definitely said it, um, if, if you want to do some of these other things that they want to do with the schedule, it's just easier to do logistically if there aren't divisions getting in the way. Okay, quick break here on Buckeye Talk. When we come back, we'll dive into more of what we learned from Gene Smith on Wednesday. Back on Buckeye Talk, Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Nathan, what do you want to do next? We should probably talk a little bit about these football coaching contracts and football the way the staff has come together. Coaching contracts. Do we, Nathan, is this, uh, hold on. Is this getting split up again too? Cause it's like the money element, but then there's like the added, like all the support staff stuff. So what do you want to do first, Nathan? You want to talk about like assistant coach salaries? Is Ryan day being folded into this? Is it the whole now thing? How do you want to break it up? Well, I think there's, it is interesting to look at how Ohio state is spending and whether we think that that has changed signaled some sort of change for Gene Smith or for the athletic department, or if this is just what it is right now. Okay, so let's start with the assistant coaches because you've been doing some research on that, right, Nathan? Where, what's their pool of assistant salaries? What we believe at this point, given what Jim Knowles, Perry Aliano, Tim Walton, and Justin Fry are making in addition to the six holdover assistants. So as of today, I have Ohio State's like known salary commitment just for the assistants at eight point two zero one million. Um, last year they were at 7.651 and the big change really has just been the hiring of Jim Knowles. Now that 8.201, 8.2 million does not include raises that we know are coming for Tony Alford and Brian Hartline. Brian Day has already said they're getting raises does not include potential pay bumps for Parker Fleming as special teams coordinator, uh, Corey Dennis as QB coach. They are due new contracts. They have apparently in theory signed new contracts since the end of the year. And it doesn't include anything else that would get bumped if, if Larry Johnson or Kevin Wilson, somebody else got a bump. That's just what we know, what the contracts we've been given. We'll be getting some more information here in the next few weeks. LSU right now has an established pool of 8.56 million for the new people under Brian Kelly. And I haven't found anybody else going around the country. And I haven't, I've been gone for last week, so I need to, to go back and double check. But as of before I left, no other team was pushing beyond 8 million for this year. And it didn't look like anybody was necessarily very close. So Ohio State's either going to have the biggest or second biggest assistant coach pool in the country in 2022. Which means what? Well, it means that for the first time, as we've talked about, I think they felt like they had to pay in a realm that they didn't have to pay before. What does that indicate to you, Stephen? Is it, because I do think it's, it's probably both to some degree, I don't want to say it's certainly not desperation 
but Gene Smith said enough things about the defense not being good enough last year and that they had to fix that non-negotiable had to get it right. And they were not going to let my get in the way of hiring Jim Knowles. And I think that applies as well to Tim Walton and Perry Aliano, especially Tim Walton, you're pulling a guy out of the NFL. He's not coming for cheap. Is it that, that like, this was like their defense was bad. So they had to pay more money for it. Or is it just, you know what? Like this is big boy football at Ohio state, man, they're all in and whatever. Like they just, they're not holding back anymore. They're just letting it rip financially because they can. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I just think obviously things were that bad that they felt like, okay, we can't, you know, skimp around this. We got to do whatever is necessary to, you know, improve this, but also it's kind of where the market is heading at this point. Because I, I, Gene kind of alluded to that like 10 years ago, like we weren't giving out million dollar, you know, uh, you know pay salaries to you know assistants because we didn't have to because it wasn't the thing that was happening. Well, now that's the thing that's happening. So they have multiple guys here who are over that number at this point because that's where the market has taken things. And it's only going to continue to get higher and higher and higher. Um, so let's see in 10 years from now, if it sounds crazy right now to think assistants are making two million dollars. Let's see if that's still the case 10 years from now. But it's it's that. But then also when your defense is that bad and it's where you're like making wholesale changes to people's responsibilities in the middle of it, that that combination of things puts you in a situation where you're paying a, a defensive coordinator one point nine million dollars. I want to throw out just a quick piece of context. I know numbers don't work great on podcasts, so I don't want to throw too many of them at people. But in it's two things, the Jim Knowles thing has accelerated this because in twenty nineteen, they paid Jeff Halfley. Nine point or nine hundred fifty thousand dollars, and now they're paying Jim Knowles literally twice that for this guy. So in a span of three years, they've doubled what they pay a defensive coordinator. But the other thing that's also happening on this staff is the people they're retaining. Those contracts are also getting more and more and more expensive. Kevin Wilson also only made nine hundred fifty thousand in twenty nineteen. He made one point four last year. Um, even if they hold him steady, that's still almost a five hundred thousand dollar increase you know larry johnson only made nine hundred thousand in 2019 he's up to 1.13 million so it's both things are kind of happening right now and maybe the reason why this doesn't mean a lot for ohio state is that clemson was just in this same position clemson was in a, a spot where it had the biggest assistant coach salary pool in the country last year but why because brent venables and tony elliott had been there a long time and had kept getting retained they stayed on staff but they kept Clemson kept paying them commensurate with what uh, coordinators who had accomplished what they had accomplished should be paid. So they just kept going up. And then when both those guys left, Clemson has plummeted. They're down in like the sixes now. They're not anywhere near the top of the pay scale. So that'll probably happen for Ohio State too, to some extent. That if if Kevin Wilson were to go and get another job, um, they're not paying the person who places him $1.4 million, I'm guessing. Well, and Clemson hired from within. Correct. replace L- mm-hmm. they didn't go right. out they didn't try to go hire jim Knowles. they could have said hey we're losing brent venables he's the best defensive coordinator in the country mm-hmm. we got to replace him with the best we'll pay two million for jim Knowles. they which didn't do sim- that which is similar to you know Corey dennis and parker filming's their initial contracts while those were so low had he actually gone out there and got a quarterbacks coach or a special teams coordinator or whatever it probably wouldn't have been as low as they were well, part of the remarkable thing here, and, and Nathan, you're talking about again, Ohio State's like number two in the country in assistant salary now. That's with two of their eight guys, two of their 10 guys, like making nothing because they had no resume when they got hired and they were 12 years old. So, like, that's that's on eight dudes, basically. And you that's why, again, can you imagine if they didn't have two of the 10 guys on staff who were basically 
newcomers. Um, yep. they, they'd be even higher. The, the one thing, Stephen, I want to talk about the point you made is, yes, the market has gone here. But part of the point with Ohio State is before they didn't listen to the market, especially in stuff mm-hmm. like this. Head coach would be a little different. But before, if SEC schools were paying assistance this much money, Ohio State was like, yeah, that, that's fine. That's what they do. Like that's we're not going to be beholden to wild and crazy SEC football decisions. And now they're there. And the idea that I can remember very vividly in 2013, when Ohio State played Clemson in the Orange Bowl, Chad Morris was the Clemson offensive coordinator and made a big I made a big deal. Everybody did. But I wrote a whole big story about how Chad Morris was the million dollar coordinator. And Tom Herman was the assistant uh, was the offensive coordinator for Ohio State at that point, not making that kind of money. Chad Morris is making a million dollars a year for Clemson in 2013. Ohio State didn't have a million dollar coordinator until 2018. Like we went bonkers over Greg Schiano and Ryan Day in 2018 being Ohio State's first million dollar coordinators. And now four years later, they have practically a $2 million coordinator. So like that, they have, when we listened to Gene Smith talk on Wednesday, it just, there was, they had, he had answers to everything with, and this is what you were asking, Stephen. Should we break this up? And we will. But just holistically, they are going to get Ryan Day done. They're paying the assistance much. They've increased the size of their support staff. They're they're doing more and more and more. There didn't feel like there's ever a no for Ohio State football right now. And there was a time, and I and I said this. I think why it's arguably Ohio State is the most interesting athletic department and college football team to cover because they live in both worlds. Because in the SEC, you're full steam ahead for football, and that's great, and nobody thinks otherwise. No holds barred. It's all about football. And the Big Ten traditionally has lived in this world where they want to have a lot of sports. They want to have an academic reputation that matters. They want to be great at football, but they don't want to act like they're football factories. And Ohio State lives in one neighborhood year long, and then they go on vacation with Alabama and Clemson and LSU and on vacation, you got to keep up. If they're getting margaritas, you got to get margaritas. Mm-hmm. Even if you were drinking iced tea in the big Ten. So that's fascinating about Ohio state. And just when I heard, and I, and I asked Gene about it and he kind of didn't agree. So this is just me then, but, but Steven listening to Gene Smith talk on Wednesday, it just sounded to me like an athletic department, an athletic director who is no holds barred on football. And, and I just, in my, 18 seasons now of doing this, I don't think that was the case for all 18 years. Not that they didn't have high expectations, but it was not all out. It was football really matters, but so does soccer and fencing and swimming and baseball and academics and doing things the right way and all that stuff. And I'm not saying they punted that, but they don't talk about it. They don't talk about it as much, and they're putting their checkbook out. At the very least, they are putting their checkbook out, a checkbook by checkbook on all the things that you're allowed to do above board. Ohio State's not going to let Alabama or LSU or Texas or anybody else beat them there. They haven't punted it yet, but they at least sent the special teams unit out there to get ready to do it. Um, They're an SEC school who hasn't always acted like an SEC school. And then this past year happened and said, okay, well, maybe we should start acting like an SEC school. And I thought he even kind of alluded to a lot of that. Like, we understand we're in the Big Ten, yada, 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 but like, we're not always 
we're not completely the same as the rest of these Big Ten schools, especially when it comes to this sport. And this was an offseason of this is kind of the SEC of Ohio State this summer with, with this offseason, with how they're handling things, whether it's you know the, the multiple million dollar assistance, even if they're not all coordinators at this point, or it's the the support staff in both the recruiting room, which I think it's like six or seven. It might be eight people in that room at that point right now. Uh, the strength and conditioning staff, the health, the the training staff, the the on field, the QCs, the analysts and all that stuff, all this stuff that five years ago, you wouldn't have ever even thought Ohio State was going to dip their hand into. They can't do that anymore because, yes, you have to play these Big Ten games and you're in the Big Ten and you have to play nice sometimes. But before it felt like you're playing nice 70% of the time. And then the other 30% of the time you're, you're throwing your weight around. I think it's more 50, 50, and it might even start leaning towards 60, 40 over the next couple of years here. We are only nine years removed in March, 2013 of Jim Delaney saying the dumbest thing he ever said, which is like, Oh, if we go to a pay for play model in college sports, maybe the big 10 will just go division three. It's the most insulting thing he ever said. It hangs around his neck. He was a super successful forward thinking commissioner And I think we saw the way the Big Ten missed his leadership during the COVID season in 2020. It was insulting and ridiculous when he said it at the time. But that that's 2013, Nathan. That's Ohio State's conference commissioner saying, leaders and legends, we might not. And now Ohio State's like, we're paying our defensive coordinator $2 million a year because our defense sucked last year. Right. That that's a little bit of what I'm talking about, Nathan, that Ohio State is in the Big Ten, but not exactly of the Big Ten. And Stephen, as you outlined, it's the push and pull. And I I find it endlessly fascinating. Honestly, God, someone should write a book about it. Nobody is like this. Nobody is. And I think anybody listening to this knows this because any Ohio State fan that pays attention would know it, but also because we talk about and dance around this and dig in on it all the time. At Texas, Texas is a great academic school. They are, the, the boosters are like ready to fire a coach after a year and a half if he doesn't win, right? No holds barred. LSU's like, ah, oh, Coach O, he's two years removed from a national title. Can we pay the Notre Dame guy $20 million a year? Like there's just no... Nobody has any illusions about it. And then there's enough teams in the big Minnesota's trying hard, man. Minnesota's trying hard and Purdue's trying hard, but Ohio state is both. But I just, I just felt Nathan. I just feel like they've, they're as leaned in as they've ever been. And at times over the years, when Ohio state has an expectation of competing with Alabama and Clemson, and LSU and the best teams in the country. At times, I have heard people say, man, we're expected to compete at this highest level, but we're not all in on football like some of those other places. Because Ohio State has 36 sports, SEC schools are not trying to carry 36 sports. They have 20-some sports, and they, they dig in on football and gymnastics and baseball, and they're good to go. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but it's really different. If you're trying to build a, a, a row ha- a, a house, a boating house for the rowing team, you know, that's, that's not really taken away from football, but it's in consideration that Alabama doesn't worry about. I have at times had people at Ohio State talk about that idea, and again, Nathan, it just felt like they were – it felt like that idea was shucked today. Ryan Day 
got the assistance he wants. He's got the support staff that he wants. He's probably going to get the contract that he wants. And I'm not saying it's a new era for Ohio State, but they've been sort of, I feel like they've been creeping toward this point and now they're here. Well, and it's all happening also at a time of not opulence, like at least not like just budgetary overflow right now, or at least not in a, in a positive way. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're dealing with, and we can talk about this more, I suppose, because he did, he did address this, but you know, the, the $40 million deficit, whatever you want to call it, that showed up from the pandemic year and how they're going to address that with a loan in, in the coming years. But it, it's also not like they just have money spilling all over the place. And now they've, they've had to figure out a way to throw it around. Right. Like you're like, you have a budget at your job and you have to find a way to spend this money or else I'll tell you in the future that you can't have it anymore. And that's not what's going on here. But I also think that the dynamic that we talk about so much with Ohio state is usually the power dynamic within the big 10. Here's how much power they have. Here's how much power they choose to wield. Here's how much influence they choose to exact on what they want. And you have to kind of pick your battles. And I feel like maybe that's what's happening a little bit here financially for Ohio state that maybe they could have spent more in the past, but there would have been times where it would have been doing it just for the sake of doing it. I don't feel like Gene Smith thought that they needed to be a, um, a, a salary outlier for show reasons or whatever. And you get the impression that that happens sometimes at some of these other places. They're like, well, we're going to pay our coordinator this much. And you look like, sometimes you look down the list of which coordinators are making how much money you're leading the nation. And you're like, who like that guy makes $1.6 million. And because, but you look at the school it is, and you're like, okay, well that makes a little bit more sense. And I, I don't think Ohio state's going to get in a situation where, like I said before, this could correct itself in in a couple years or down the line, you know, um, Kevin Wilson leaves or somebody else leaves and the person they hire in to replace them doesn't make as much money. Those, those cycles happen. You know, if Tony Alford leaves and you're hiring a running backs coach to replace him, Alford made 618,000 last year. I assume he's going to bump up to like 750 or more with this new hire. The guy you're, you might fire, hire, hire someone 400,000 to replace him. And those cycles are going to keep happening. So I think for Gene Smith, it's not about having to set a mark and then build off of that. It's more about what did this team need right now? And this team needed Jim Knowles. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. For one, they're not going to always have four and $5 million assistant coaches on the staff. That's just ridiculous. But I do think the, the I, don't I, I, I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> okay. Okay. What for 1.5 and higher, they're because, not always going to have that. Because the baseline is changing over time. Right. But I do think that one, I agree with the idea that Ohio State didn't need to just start throwing out million dollar you know, salaries just for the sake of doing it because they're Ohio State. But I do think that because it is part of it is, you know, it's an investment. What am I getting in return for it? Because there are SEC schools who do that and then they're still going seven and five. So what was the point of you doing that? So it, it's almost like Urban Meyer, you know, turned Ohio State into an SEC school on the field. And now we're going to spend this decade doing it in all the offices. In 2019, Ohio State had one assistant coach who made over a million dollars. You know who it was? In what year? 2019. Uh, Larry? No. 2019? Uh, Madison. It was Greg Madison. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so taking it back to what I said before about how they were paying double now for defensive coordinator. Technically, Madison was a co-defensive coordinator. So together with him and Halfley, they were paying, I guess, almost what they're just now paying Jim Knowles, but still the point, the point is taken that like this, this things, these things are shifting. And I think Ohio, I think Gene Smith is the way he looks at it is Ohio state needs to be in that range 
generally, especially as it relates to Ryan's contract. I guess assume we'll talk about that now. But what you've seen, the spike you've seen here was really just they had to make sure they were fixing defense and Jim Knowles was a way to do that. So one thing, again, heads up for people just to be on the lookout for uh, Ohio State starting to look into the idea of maybe building a new Woody Hayes Athletic Center, which is, again, it's like you talk about, hey, investing in your thing, a whole new football building would be that kind of investment. And one of the reasons, Stephen, is because the number of people working in that building has expanded so much. When they opened it, we were told when they opened it in 2005, there were 87 people working in that building. Now there's 125. They have people working in former storage areas. But we could see, and Nathan, you, you documented a lot of this, all the uh, analysts and sort of quality control people that came in with Jim Knowles. Stephen, this is an area where the SEC was at the forefront of this and Ohio State wasn't doing this to nearly this degree even several years ago, and they are staffing up. It's 10 full-time assistants and basically no limit on what you can do with other people, but they are getting people in the building to self-scout, to scout opponents, to crunch tape. That's mostly what those people can do because they can't work in practices mm -hmm. with players. And that is an area where Ohio State previously had not really gone there to the same degree, and they're going there now. It was all oohs and ahs when they hired two analysts. While, you know, Bama has been doing this for years and the SEC has been doing it for a decade. Um, <laughs> building a new building is probably a smart thing to do at this point, because especially from a recruiting standpoint, Mark Pantone's office is literally right when you walk into the door of the football side of the Woody Hayes facility. And that like office, he's got a nice size office, but everybody else works in this one area and it is not big enough to fit his staff at this point. It's just way too small. But yeah, this is we should, we'll probably continue to see this grow. And it's now the question is to, in the name of, we've seen Ryan day hire from within a lot of times, Corey Dennis started out as a QC in a, in, in that, in a GA here. Uh, Parker Fleming started out as a QC GA here. Brian Hartline started out as a QC GA here. So when Brian day has to make another hire somewhere, does he get lazy again and just go down the hall and hire one of the QCs who's been here for four or five years? So there has got to be a balance. It's fine to, you know, stock up on analysts and QCs and all that stuff, but you still have to make sure that you're not just going down the hall every time you need a new assistant. But a lot of this is bringing in veteran people for this stuff. You know, Bill Davis. The analyst part, yeah. Bill Davis was here for a year uh, hanging out before he took over when Luke Fickle left and they needed a new linebackers coach. This, is it Matt Guerrero, Nathan? who's one of the people that Jim Knowles knew from Duke, isn't yep. he? A, he's a former full-time staffer who's here as a whatever now. And they're, they're leaning in. That's where Bama really leaned into that several years ago, many mm -hmm. years ago now. And Ohio State's catching up there. Yeah, he was the, he was the, the co-defensive coordinator at, um, at Duke, and, and now he's here. And I'm trying to think. I was, I was looking at this on my um, – when I was looking through the salary pool, isn't it? Was it Will Muschamp? That's now at Georgia. He came there yeah. for one year, I think, as an analyst before he moved over to, or he came as the special teams coordinator. He came as a very overpaid for what he was doing position, and then now is the co-defensive coordinator again. So, you know, th this is, again, something that's pretty common throughout college football. I think for for Gene, if you just the way he talks about it, though, it's never been about we can't spend that. It's show me why we need to spend that. Uh, but that goes um, that goes to sort of the point I'm making that I feel like in the past it was never that Ohio State didn't have the money to do it. It was that they chose not to because they felt like it wasn't necessary or, or it was an extravagance 
or maybe they just thought the money was better spent in other areas of the athletic department. And I, I don't, I guess they're not maxed out, right? They're not, they're probably not at Alabama's level, but it does feel like things that maybe that would have Ohio state would have viewed as an, as a luxury or an extra in years past, where maybe you would have had a head coach that said, man, I wish we had that. I wish we had a couple people doing that. And I, I, I just, I think they have those couple people now. So, okay. So they, they are paying the assistants a lot and they are, they have more personnel and they might get a new building head coach. I had wondered, maybe wondered a lot about what the pandemic financial situation might do for their negotiations with Ryan day on an extension and a raise. They are $40 million in the hole. Nathan, as you reported at the beginning of the month, when Ohio state released that they're going to have to get a loan from the university to pay off the $40 million they did make during the 2020 football season when they didn't have people in the stands. But Nathan, from the discussions we've had, it's that it's not going to stop them from doing what they want to do and the extra money on the assistance and potentially the extra money on Ryan Day and any extra money, they're just going to fold that into that loan. And they might end up the loan, the whole right now is 40 million. The loan might end up being 50 million because Nathan, it is not stopping them from business as usual. And the way Gene Smith has traditionally operated is the expectations and the performance of Ohio State football is typically top five in the country. So the head coach should be top five in the country in salary. I think Gene referenced that right now, I think Ryan Day is third, I guess because of the Mel Tucker and, and James Franklin raises. Yeah. So third in the Big Ten. Third in the Big Ten. They're not the third best team in the Big Ten. They're not the third best program in the Big Ten. Gene Smith doesn't think Ryan Day is the third best coach in the Big Ten. So I had wondered, in a, would it be like, well, normally, we would do that, but we can't because of the 40 million. And from what we've been told and from what Gene said on Wednesday, Nathan, that it doesn't matter. The pandemic financial hit doesn't matter. And it sounds like Gene Smith said in the next couple months, he'll get with Ryan day. He said, he doesn't feel a sense of urgency. He pointed out that Ryan day in a press conference said, we're happy to be here. We're not going anywhere. Gene Smith said, if Ryan day ever got another job offer, he'd tell me. And he didn't tell me that. We have no, Ryan Day did not get an NFL job offer. I think he had conversations, I think, maybe. Whatever that means with NFL teams, but you're allowed to talk. But I don't, so, so, but Gene doesn't, it's not like Gene's not freaking out, like, oh my God, NFL rumors, Ryan Day. But it sounds like Nathan, he's says we'll get something done in the next couple months. What did you think of that? I thought urgency was an interesting term because when we were talking about all this as it related to Ryan Day in recent, weeks and months the thing i kept coming back to was well ryan day needs to kind of create some leverage here somewhere i think that's where maybe the leverage comes in i think uh gene smith feels a obligation might be the right word or just that this is his strategy that he wants ohio state to pay in a certain range and if the market shifts Ohio state shifts accordingly but again without something that's on the table um for ohio state to negotiate against other than that market um, I think that's where the urgency comes in. And I, I would I would say to fans who feel I I because I, I already saw a little bit of this on social media, but I get I, it's one of those other things where I feel like don't 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 take that lack of urgency as being a lack of attention. I think those are two very different things. Well, how else they had to prioritize and kind of 
list up. There are a lot of things that they needed to check off this summer of things that just a to-do list of things. And obviously Ryan Day negotiations with him were part of that, but Gene said it, and I don't think they were wrong in doing this. The first priority was to fix the defense. And so they spent the first couple, month and a half or so here doing that. Okay, we can check that off now. And now they're and they're into it. They're in the winter workouts. They're going to start getting with these players soon, and they're going to start spring practice. Now that that's done, then Brian Day was out on the road recruiting. So when are you supposed to have these contract negotiations when Ryan Day is on a flight every you know two hours trying to go visit another high school kid? Okay, that's done. And now the kids can come to campus starting in, Mar- in March. So that's checked off the list. Now that we've had some time here, they'll probably get through spring practice. And now once that's checked off the list and everybody can come up for air in May, then that's when you sit down and have those negotiations. You can't pile everything on top of each other, though. I do think. I do think my educated guess is that if Ryan Day did not, does not get a contract more in line with Mel Tucker and James Franklin by the start of the season, then next off season, who knows? Like it could be, I don't know what, doesn't mean he's leaving, but it's like, it could be a little more of an issue. And it's to your point, Stephen. It doesn't mean they have to do it right now. As Gene said, they had other things. And I think if you said that to Gene, it's like, hey, Gene, man, it feels like if you don't get something done with Ryan, given what happened with Franklin and Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley and Mel Tucker and all these dudes cashing checks, man, if you don't get something done by the start of the season, and Gene, I think would be like, well, yeah, I know, we'll we'll get it done. But but we're a long way from the start of the season, so I I do think, but I didn't know. Right, Nathan? That's the whole thing. It's like we're coming off an, an unusual situation that, and I just didn't know, and it goes back to Ohio State. I just feels like they've leaned in all the way on football. Were we sure, 100% sure, they were going to operate business as usual with a $40 million hole blown in their budget? And the answer is yes. And I didn't. I don't know that we had that as a guarantee until Gene said it. Yeah, I think we had suspected it, even going back to when we knew that there was going to be budget deficit it, you know, back into 2020, when we saw what the pandemic pandemic was going to do to earnings, to income for the athletic department, um, that th- they know that football is a cash cow. If attendance is right, they're going to be able to make enough money off football to figure to straighten things out in a short amount of time, even with the expenditures that they have. I think it is interesting though. I had another discussion with Gene Smith about um, so people may be familiar with the Alston ruling, which opened up um, schools to pay, um, pay their athletes up to, I think it's $6,000, a little under $6,000 a year for academic uh, things. You can give them computers. I think you can give them just stipends based off of academic stuff. And Ohio State, I had talked to Gene Smith a few weeks ago about that. He said something was coming, but it was still a little bit more vague. And now he's saying that by March 1st, he has a group that's supposed to report back to him on the the parameters of that. And it's going to be another, they've budgeted, I think he said $6 million for that. So it's just like every year there's, there's something else that's coming up that Ohio State has to account for. And um, for right now, they feel like they can keep spending on all those things roll it into this loan and, and, and pay it off in a, in a short amount of time. Okay. Last quick break. When we come back, I guess a little NIL reluctantly get a lot of questions about it and anything else we need to cover next on Buckeye talk.
All right, Nathan. So let's do NIL stuff first. Gene Smith got a lot of questions about it because people are endlessly fascinated by name, image, and likeness. I'm not sure why. We've, we kind of covered, I mean, everybody knows the deal by now, but what did, what did we learn? What did we learn? What did we learn about Gene's view of NIL, how Ohio State is implementing it? What's up? Well, everyone still, I don't know, has a, a great understanding of the reason that you're hesitant about it, which is how is this affecting the product on the field? How is it really affecting the product on the field? Are the rumors about Texas A&M still just rumors? Is that sort of thing really happening in those sort of amounts? And if so, where does Ohio State stand with that? And I think from, from hearing Gene Smith today, because you got to remember, Gene's the one who will criticize the NCAA about how behind it was on name, image, and likeness, and a number of other things. He was the one sort of pushing to get something going with this, but he has also been someone who uh, has wanted to put restrictions on it. And I'm really curious because he still, you know, he still said that. Is that something, is this something can be regulated? And he said, yes, you have to be able to regulate it. And what I think he is the most wary of right now is how do you do that um, while every state has its own law and those laws can probably be shifted to even better help football programs as they see fit as this goes forward, as they, as people sort of learn more um, about, you know, uh, corners you can cut or, or new ways to, to bring more money into this. So um, I think he is worried about the free-for-all. I think he's worried about um, – if you open this, if you op- if Ohio State opens its arms to all this new money, is it opening arms to problems? And that's again, that's coming from the perspective of someone who has advocated for players to get that money. I think he just wants everybody to be playing by the same rules, and it doesn't feel like that's happening right now. Well, yeah, because every state has its own rule, and like, yeah, yeah. that, yeah, it's by design, so, like, because the NCAA abdicated responsibility. Right. And he's he he said, well, I guess the answer like he's given up on the NCAA doing anything because yeah. anybody should give up on the NCAA. And he's waiting for federal regulation. But he also he didn't say this exactly. But Washington is so jacked right now. It's like, hey, there's a lot happening. No, he kind of did that. say that. <laughs> well, yeah, I he mean, he did. didn't he, he didn't say jacked, but it's no. like, hey, as the country. As soon as the civil war's over, could you guys maybe pass the rules about whether endorsements can be regulated in college sports? It's like it's not a front burner issue in Washington, right? Because getting the country straightened out is the front burner issue. So he knows that, but he's also waiting for it because like, what else can you wait for? You would think, and I don't want to turn this into a NCAA rant, you would think maybe you could wait, I don't know, for the governing body of your own organization to set a rule. I will say that I know, I, I, listen, he's from Cleveland. He got here like a year before me. I've, I mean, I've worked with the guy for practically two decades now. He's always been really upfront. He, I think, is really good with the media. He's not afraid to talk to reporters. He'll give you time. He'll help explain things. One of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits is the one where uh, Phil Hartman is Bill Clinton goes into the McDonald's and he's like eating the food off everybody's tables. But people keep asking him questions about all these different things in the government. He's like, hey, you know, the high inference yield rate, eating those fries. And it's like he it's that Bill Clinton is Tim May. this person who can't. I mean, hey, I, I got and that's a little. Hey, it's a little more up here for Tim. Hey, hey, uh, hey, uh, urban. This is more. 
hey, so it's like he's eating fries, but he 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 has every answer about everything happening in government and the world off the top of his head. There were moments today when Gene is like, what about this? What about this? What about the field? What about NIL? What about signing your coaches? What about the future of college sports? And Gene's always just like, boom, 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 boom. And I guess if you're in charge of an athletic department, the largest athletic department in the country, you should be that. But also when somebody was like, hey, actually it was Tim, said like, hey, what about this NIL thing? Should you have done it? He's like, and he was like, the NCAA is behind on everything. And they're paying for it now. We should have done this years ago. There's a part of me that sometimes think, well, then why aren't you in charge of the NCAA? Well, uh, well, he has a resume because I will say he is both sides. A lot of people would say, hey, why is the athletic director of Ohio State acting like there should be any regulations on the free market paying athletes whatever they can make? This guy's making money off the backs of college students, and he's trying to limit or regulate what they make from endorsements. That's ridiculous. So he has some of that on that side. But on the other side, he knows that this is a stodgy organization that's been behind the times. And he said, the NCAA, he said, we're always on the defensive. We're never on the offensive. That's as an organization. So I think he's not a thousand percent progressive on what should come next because he doesn't want to pay players. He doesn't. But he's more forward thinking than than what the NCAA has been. So I do think, Nathan, he threads a needle in a lot of ways sometimes and I just I wish you heard that kind of stuff more often from leadership in Indianapolis. And so, listen, I, I mean, I like Gene personally. And does that affect how I cover them? No, I, I don't think so. It, it shouldn't. I've been critical of Ohio State and of Gene Smith and everybody involved at various times. But this is a big, complicated thing. And it frustrates me, Nathan, when the people when Mark Emmert blows at his job and it feels like a guy like Gene Smith, and he's not the only one. I think Ward Manuel has a handle on this stuff. I think Gary Barta. I think the. I think there's some really good ads actually in the Big Ten who've been around for a long time. But meanwhile, there's a vacuum in leadership at the top of the sport. I mean, I think it's worth asking. If I were a fan and I hear Gene Smith saying, um, "I don't like that every state has its own laws and not everybody's playing by the same rules," but who had a big hand in helping craft Ohio's state law for NIL? You can tell me Ohio State didn't have significant input into that. Gene Smith was standing next to um, Naraj Antani at the uh, senator uh, who introduced the bill at the at the at the introduction. You know, what I mean, he's sharing the stage with him. So at the Fawcett I, Center at that at the Fawcett Center. Right. So, I mean, Ohio State um, had a lot of influence in what this oh, bill for sure. says. No, but so I think if, but he would argue. But, but the point is, like, there's so there is some regulation in Ohio's law. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it allows right. for the fact that they you sort of the athletes have to like double check and tell the university what they're doing. I don't think that's the case with every state law. So on one hand, Gene's like, hey, we're I think he would say, well, we're trying to be responsible right. with with not being 100 percent hands off because we don't think that's the best thing for anybody, including the athletes. Maybe people think would disagree with that. But we think. That's not great for everybody. We've got to have some guiding hand in this. And other states are saying, do whatever you want. So he had a, Ohio State had a hand in crafting a law in Ohio that has a little bit of regulation in it, which is what he thinks there should be. So what he's frustrated by is the states that have zero regulation, which is why he wants federal legislation that has some regulation. But it almost would be hypocritical for him to want federal legislation that has regulation. And then meanwhile, be influential in Ohio State and the Ohio law is like, eh, 
In the meantime, we'll have no rules. Our state rule is no state rule. Some states never pass rules. And the NCAA said, if your state has no rule, you can do whatever you want. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. It's also like why he can admit to saying that like from a recruiting standpoint, like they feel like felt like they were behind given how some things worked out in other places, whether the, what happened at Texas and Texas A&M is true or not. That's, I don't know if that's ever been factually proven that they were happening, but the rumors are the rumors and you're going to see more of situations like that. And Ohio state has to play catch up in that area now because they're in his mind, there's no regulation. And when there's no regulation, you get situations like that. All right. Anything else? Is there any more NIL? We're good on NIL. They're trying stuff, whatever. We can talk I mean, about like, it. It's yeah. one of those things. I, I don't want to be dismissive. Trey, somebody mentioned, yeah, there's a clause. I mean, Trey Van Henderson had a quote somewhere the other day about how the NIL money that he is getting is helping his family. And that like when he left, he was kind of worried about that. And now he is able to help his family and his siblings and, and his mom. And like, that's a very big deal for him. And that is awesome. And Gene said that. And there are some Olympic sport athletes. Is it, you said it's a lacrosse player, Stephen, who's making said, all the TikTok money? He said there's a – no, no. Uh, Jimmy Sotos is the one who's, like, famous on TikTok. He's a basketball player. But I can't remember the lacrosse player's name, but I think he threw out the some $200,000 for what he's doing just because, you know, um, basically what he was getting at here is if you are wired in that way from a business standpoint – there's a lot out there for you to get from an IL whether regardless of if you're top of the food chain, people like CJ Stroud and Travion Henderson, or you're an Olympic sport athlete who's on partial scholarship. And Gene's concerned. Gene is not concerned about athletes making money because of social media or making money from businesses. Gene does not love the idea of there's a collective made up of boosters who have gathered money and they're paying players to basically do nothing but it's okay because it's NIL. That's the thing mm-hmm. that he doesn't love. So if there's a free market, because that's the thing everybody knows, that's not the free market. That's just boosters want to pay players to come to your school. And as he mentioned, there's supposed to be a rule against recruiting inducements with NIL. Like, hey, if you come to play for us, we will give you this money. That's not supposed to be really allowed. But exactly how do you regulate that as a fine line and that kind of thing? Nathan, anything else? What Steven, anything else? What else did we not cover from Gene in general? I'm good think, on NIL. Yeah, I think we covered quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. Other thing, other just small thing. I mean, the field's gonna be put in this summer and they're gonna change the field in the Woody as well. And there's no other changes other than improving the Wi-Fi. And it said uh, that uh that field should last five or six years, I think he said. Yeah. Um, again, the alliance thing, I got very excited about the alliance when they announced it. The ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten working together. And there was a scheduling component with that when they when they first announced it. This was after the SEC expanded. And that's basically dead. So if you're thinking about the schedule, it sounds like the Big Ten is going to stay at nine conference games. It sounds like they're not going to schedule alliance stuff, which we thought maybe there was a time where they were going to play an ACC team and a, and a Pac-12 team every year. They would have had to go to eight for that. And so if they're staying at nine, it sounds like the scheduling model for Ohio State will stay exactly what it is, which is they will play a national power that sometimes will be from the Pac-12 and the ACC. They're playing Notre Dame this year. They're, they're, they're like an honorary ACC team. They've played USC in the past. they played Oregon in the past, right? So we, we know all that. But they don't want to give up on playing Alabama or Texas or schools like that. They don't want to say, well, we're never going to play SEC schools. 
So the alliance thing in the end was about building a wall against the SEC. It's 41. It's 14 from the Big Ten. It's 14 from the ACC, right? It's 12 from the Pac-12 plus Notre Dame. That's 41 votes of like-minded members in three different conferences thinking the same way about things. And that was the best way to try to hold the line against the SEC. So that's what the alliance was about. And also in a world where as soon as the SEC expanded, everybody said, oh, maybe the Big Ten should get USC. And it's like the, those three conferences said, let's not raid each other. Let's let everybody stay where they are. Makes geographic sense, but we're like-minded. So let's just think about the future of college sports and college football in particular in the same way. I like the scheduling component, but Gene basically said the scheduling component has kind of fallen by the wayside. So for fans, this is tangible stuff. It sounds like nine conference games, the continuing national power, probably that mid-tier game like Arkansas State this year, and then a MAC team. I think that's going to be their scheduling plan going forward, which is status quo. That's it. You can read about some of this stuff. We're going to be writing stories about this at cleveland.com slash OSU. This was a lot to get into. You can go take it in with your eyeballs. We'll also give some of our opinions about it there. We texted out a lot of the stuff as it was happening. So if you want to get this firsthand, I mean, people listening to this, if you're a tech subscriber, you've got this, you know, six hours ago, 614-350-3315. But if you're interested in the sort of the playoff stuff, how the idea of divisions and conference championship games and all of that fits into the expanded playoff. Again, Shahan J. Haraja and I did an hour of that on the College Football Survivor Show on Wednesday. So go find that for now. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>